Hey, let me invite you to grab a Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 3. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you today, that's okay. Uh, There should be one right underneath your seat, and you'll find our text today on page 868. And um, if you don't happen to have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible before you leave today. We have plenty of those around. We'd love to, to give those out to you. So those of you who have been around for a while, you know we've been in the Gospel of Mark. And today we're in Luke. And the reason we're in Luke instead of Mark is because Mark doesn't say anything about the birth of Jesus. Zip, zero, zilch about Christmas. So, but we're going to step out today out of, the, out of the Gospel of Mark. And for the next couple of Sundays, we're going to engage in just a quick Christmas series. And we're going to do so from a number of different passages. But today, I, I want to pull together, um, I, I think, um, some, some great, you know, there's a kind of twin things that are kind of pulling our series together. One is that since the coming of Christ, the church has, has seen in Jesus and has used to see the, the whole birth event in his life as, as the, they've used the symbolism of light, right? And so, and we've picked this up in our own world, right? We, you know, Christmas lights everywhere, right? You know, Tower Hill Botanical Gardens, Christmas lights everywhere, right? It's not, there's some guy in the news, this thing, he, I saw this week, he's going to have a $600 light bill this month, you know, because he's got his entire house is just covered in lights, and we've adopted this whole kind of thing. But it flows really out of some great biblical foundations, you know. The Scripture tells us right up front in the Gospel of John, it says, you know, talking about Jesus, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So from the very early ages, the, the church has used this concept of light shining to represent the coming of Christ. And we've adopted that through the fact that we use lights a lot to celebrate the arrival of Jesus. We've also learned from Mark's gospel, like we do from all the gospels, is that as we've studied the parables, we realize that everyday life could teach us some great spiritual lessons, right? The parable of the sower. Sow the seed, it goes on hard soil, not much is going to come. goes on good soil, lots of stuff can come from it. God does good things. Mustard seed may be a tiny seed, but it can grow really huge. And, and there's, there's spiritual lessons that we can get from everyday experiences. And so we built our series this week about my everyday experiences with putting up Christmas lights, Right? So how many of you just have a love-hate relationship with Christmas lights like me, right? How many of you have gone over to the dark side and do artificial pre-lit, tree, pre-lit trees now? Anybody? Isn't it just wonderful? You take it out of the box, you drop it in, you plug it in, and then when the next one goes in, it lights up on its own, and it's just great, right, you know? But the, I, I, I have these, these three laws, what I call Neil's laws of Christmas lights, Especially outdoor Christmas lights. And here are the three laws that goes with, with these. First is, no matter what day it is, the only day that you have in your schedule to put up your Christmas lights, it's going to be freezing outside. Anybody experience that? You know, it's just, you, know, you could do it in July, it's going to be eight degrees out, right? I mean, it's just always, you're out there, you can try to push stuff up and, and that kind of thing, and it's just always freezing. The second is, no matter how much you pretest the strings of lights. As soon as you get them up, one of them's not going to work. 
Right? I mean, that's why we got rid of our earlier artificial tree, because just section after section stopped working, and then I'm wrapping it with other lights, and then some of those would stop working, and I said, that's it, it's going out the window, and we got another one, right? But it, even this year, plugged the lights in several different times, got it all laid out, everything looks great in the front of the house in the dark, go out 30 minutes later to get in the car, and I'm looking, and, and a couple of string lights, right smack dab in the middle, are no work, not working anymore. Well, they're like light genies that come around and put them out. I, I, I could, so then you're trying to stretch them to cover. And, so the second law is no matter how much you pretest them, some of them are going to go out on you. But the last one is what really is going to launch our message for today, is that no matter how hard you try when you put them up, no matter how neat that you put them away in the box, when you get them out, they're a tangled mess, Right? My next-door neighbor has gotten to where he hangs them in his attic, right, on the rafter so they won't get tangled. I am not that masochistic. I just try to tape them up good and put them in a box. But, you know, when you, you try to pull out one, like nine comes with it. And when you're trying to, all, and they just always get into a tangled mess. So you've got to do all this effort to get them ready to put up. And as soon as you get them up, half of them stop working. And then, anyway, so, so, over my frustration. It's okay, Neil. It's okay. You'll get through this. But there, there is in that experience of us getting the lights up or in that experience of getting into the light of Christ, a real message for us. And it's a message that the New Testament really affirms to us, especially in the Christmas story. And that is that, that walking with God, being far from God and coming home to God, it involves preparation. It involves effort. And And this is really the story to us and the role that a guy by the name of John the Baptist played in announcing the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, their ministries overlapped a little bit, but in other words, John the Baptist was was preaching while Jesus was ministering, and it may have, the overlap may have been as much as two years, and certainly a, a better part of a year, and yet John the Baptist had this incredible role that God had for him, says his role was to get the people ready for the people to make preparation for the arrival of the light. And we find probably the most extensive explanation and teaching of that role in, in Luke chapter 3. And I'd love for you to follow along the first, 15, first 18 verses as I read to you from Luke chapter 3. And then I'll go back and, and, and kind of fill in the pieces so we kind of get everything. And then I want to make some observations for us. Because, see, today, you know, the, the very simple, profound truth for us it may, it may not be. It may not be. You know, rocket science. It, it, it is no a great aha moment. But the spiritual reality that you and I need to embrace is that it takes work to get close to God and stay close to God. Let's just read together. So, Luke is a little bit more interested in making sure that that the 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 life of Christ is embedded in in the history of the ancient world so they could see the validity out of it because he's a real-life person working in real-life circumstances. So he gives us a lot of background timing for when Jesus launched his, his uh, ministry. So it says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was the Tetrarch of Abilene. You didn't know Texas was in the Bible, but it, there it is, right? Abilene. And Lysanias was Tetrarch of Abilene. And during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John 
the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Now that's a direct relation back to the stories that are told to us in chapters 1 and 2. So this is John who is the son of Zechariah and we know him best as John the Baptist. Verse 3, and he went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, so he's kind of hugging that line that between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, and he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, untangle all that stuff, and prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley is going to be filled. And every mountain and hill will be made low. And the crooked will become straight. And the rough ways smooth. And everyone will see the salvation of God. And that's my prayer for us today. That every one of us will see the salvation of God. He then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love it if I... If I greeted you guys on a Sunday morning, I got up here and said, hey, I'm Neil Davidson, one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel, and you guys are all a bunch of poisonous snakes. You know, there's, you know he says, they come out to John the Baptist, and he starts this message, you brood of vipers, you know, and, you know, and, and, and so not necessarily the friendliest guy, I think, and maybe, maybe just had, hadn't had his morning coffee yet, I don't know. He starts with, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore... Produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. We don't really need you, John. We don't need to deal with any of this stuff. We got Abraham. We've already got our get-out-of-jail-free card to get into heaven, right? We already have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these very stones. Now even the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What then shall we do, they asked. The crowds were asking him. And this is how he replied. The one who has two shirts, some of your translations are going to have the word tunics, or, or, or what? Any, those of you who have two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors came to him. These are the guys who are on the outside. They have no hope. They've, they've sold their soul to the dark side, right? They've become treasonous so, and, and joined the Romans in collecting taxes. And so these guys are beyond hope. They have violated the covenant and can't be forgiven. It says, and tax collectors also were coming to him. And they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he told them, don't collect any more than what you've been authorized. And some soldiers also questioned him, what, what should we do? And he said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. Just be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were waiting expectantly. And all of them were debating in their minds whether John might be the Messiah. And John said to them, I baptize you with water. But one who is coming, right? But one who is coming is more powerful than I. I'm, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He says, you know, that's the role of a slave, right? Untie your sandals, wash your feet. He says, I, am not, I don't even have enough within me to be qualified to be his slave, let alone anything else. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He's the one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chafe will, he will burn up with fire that never goes out. Then, along with, uh, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people, right? Then with many other exhortations, see, I guess I'm going to preach a lot shorter than John the Baptist, right? You guys are going to get out of here like, he said, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. So what Luke's doing here is he is seeing the role of John the Baptist, and this is something that's affirmed in the other gospel stories as well, that John the Baptist is a fulfillment of a prophecy that took place or was given originally by the prophet Isaiah. And we find the copy of the, or, or that original prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40. And, and I think what a lot of us is, you know, we, we're kind of familiar with this. We've kind of heard this idea of the one crying in the wilderness. But we really miss out on what, what the, the, the context in which Isaiah offered his prophecy. So let me back up just a little bit. We don't have time to go into a lot of detail, but I think it really is helpful for us to understand in a positive light what it is that God's really trying to say to us and, and the role that preparation makes with him. And, and so Isaiah had been called to prophesy to the nation of Judah, which is the southern tribes, the two tribes of, of, of Israel. It was originally all Israel, and then they separated into Judah and Israel. And, and he's, he's proclaiming to the southern kingdom and he's proclaiming in the 700s about something that's going to happen in around 580, 590 kind of idea, right? And so it's 100 years off. And for 39 chapters, this is his message. You guys have blown it so bad, there's absolutely no hope for you, and, you, and there's no chance. You, got, you guys have been so unfaithful to God in this covenant. You've made promises over and over again, broke them and broke them and broke them. He sent you word after word, giving you opportunity after opportunity, and there was no hope for you. Your sins will not be forgiven, and you are going to be sent off into exile. And so he had says, the, the, sentence, the gavel is dropped. We're just waiting for the sentence to take place. And he does that for 39 chapters. Actually, the bulk of his ministry was walking around to people and saying, you got no hope. You got no hope. Just wait. It's coming. you got no hope. That's what he does for 39 chapters. But in chapter... And so the fulfillment of all that was that eventually the Babylonians came in and crushed the nation of Judah and took, every, took all of the prized people back to Babylon and then destroyed the city as best they could and left it in ruins. And you pick up that story in Daniel and other kind of places in the, in the Scripture. And... And so that's, that's the message he's proclaiming. But in chapter 40, God changes the corner. He said, listen, all that stuff's going to happen. So, but the day's going to come when God's going to announce it's time to build a highway from Babylon back to Jerusalem. So build, build an interstate, eight lanes wide. Take the hills, make them flat. Take the valleys, fill them in. All the potholes, smooth them out. All the curves, straighten them out. I want a drag strip from Babylon back to Jerusalem because the day's going to come when I'm going to bring you back home. You're going to be far away, and I'm going to bring you back home. And so this is an incredible word of hope, right? He says, you know, make straight the way of the Lord. Lower the hills. Because it's, it's, the day's coming when that exile in Babylon's going to come to an end, and it did, at the hands of Cyrus, who was the 
the king of Persia, and he let them loose, and they come back, and you got Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilding the city. God just lays it out, and it's an incredible word of hope spoken hundreds of years before any of these events ever came to pass. And now when Jesus arrives, the role that Isaiah played of announcing the hope is picked up by John the Baptist. And what he is announcing to you and I is that God in the person of Jesus Christ is making it possible for us to take, create, a, create a, a highway, if you will, from our Babylon back to our Jerusalem. To take us from being far away from God and to being dwelling in the presence in the city of God, sitting at the table of God, being a part of the family of God. And he said, this is an incredible word of hope, but it takes preparation. You don't get to put the lights up until you untangle them. I mean, I don't want to push that metaphor too, too far. But here's some truths I want us to really see from this text that relate to this. Because th- this, is, this is John the Baptist's role. And he, and he fulfilled this role for, you know, he, in his preaching ministry for well over a year, maybe, maybe two or three years. And so it's a message over and over again. And, and here's here, here some of the truths I think we need to take out as we think about embracing our own journey of moving far from God and coming back home and staying there. Is it, and here's a fundamental thing that you need to get, and I've already said this, is it takes effort. It takes preparation. He says, prepare the way of the Lord. I, I think sometimes we think it's, you know, we, we, what we want is, so, well, it should just be like Paul, right? He's walking down the road. He's going to Damascus, and God should just show up with a lightning bolt, and Jesus is standing in front of me, and it's, that's it. You know, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't do any effort for it or whatever, and God's just there, right? And I got to tell you, that happened in the New Testament. We see it in the book of Acts. I'm not going to argue with that, but I got to tell you, that's the exception. That's not the rule. The rule is that the people who find God are the people who seek God. Seek, and you shall Find. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door is going to be open. The people who find God are the people who are looking for God. They're making the effort to get there. And you can see this over, I mean, Moses even, he saw the burning bush, but man, he had to cross the wilderness and climb the mountain to get into God's presence, right? And you can just go right on down the list. It's, and, and it takes effort, right? And, and we have this idea that it should just, you know, if God, God just should show up and do a miracle, then I'll believe. And, and, and we saw this last week, right, in, in, in the passage we were studying in Mark. That's not necessarily true. You know, the people who were part of the ten cities of the capitalists, they show up. They clearly see that a miracle has taken place. I mean, they can see the guy who was, who was possessed by these demons and was just a threat to everything and everyone. They can see him sitting there in his right mind, ready to be a messenger for God. And they can see that the pigs are, are gone, right, and they're floating in the, in the, in the... They see that a miracle has taken place, and their reaction is, just go away. Just go away. You see, if we haven't done the preparation to be aware of our need for God, then we don't really actually respond to the activity of God in a way that draws us closer. Sometimes we just say, go away. That's not on my agenda right now. So for the very first thing is, we, we just need to accept the fact that it takes work. And I, and I told the first service is, you know, and we make a big deal out of, out of Advent, right? And we're really encouraging you to seek God and accept it. I think it's a great opportunity. I think it's a great opportunity because as you get closer to God, I think you get more eager to invite other people to join you in that journey. And they're more ready at, Easter, at Christmas and Easter than any other time of the year. So I think it's a great way to synergize all that. But I got to tell you, sometimes we get Christmas so busy, it, it, it gets pushed to the side. But I got, 
And, and there may be other times of the year that are better for you to really work, but we need to put in the work to get there. It, it, it takes work, right? And I used this example in the first service. You know, when we were building this building, right, you know, the, the very first week, we were building it with volunteers, and, and there were 100 people here. And I'll never forget, you come out on Monday morning, and you expect just stuff to be flying up and that kind of stuff, and they spent almost all of the morning just preparing the site. Hundreds of people carrying boards to the various parts of the, of the construction site. And these other guys are building these, they called them jigs, so that when they went to cut the, 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 um, the uh, studs and stuff, they'd be the exact same length. And they're, and they're spending all this time, and they built a couple of them, and they weren't right, and they took them all apart and did it over again. And you're thinking, why are they wasting all this time? Let's get to it. And then you come back two days later, and all the outside walls are up. Because they had laid the foundation, right? They, 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 it was, they, they had done all the prep work, so that when they really started in, man, it just gelled and it just went. Right? And, and, and we've got to lay that kind of effort to us. Now, so here's the second point, right? When we do that, when you and I work on getting closer to God, and, and this is, I'm going to pull this out of the text, that just don't go through the motions, like sometimes you hear a message like, yeah, I know, I need to pray some more, I need to read the Bible more, man, I should go to church more often, that kind of stuff. And you should do all that stuff. You know, I, I, but don't just go through the motions. And, and where do I see this in this text? Here are these people, right? They're flocking to John the Baptist. This is not a short walk, right? This isn't hopping on your, in your car and it's just a five-minute ride down the street. We'll get baptized and go back home. These people are traveling from Jerusalem, which is downhill to the Jordan River, getting baptized and hauling their way back up the, mount, up the hill to Jerusalem. It's one of the most dangerous roads in the ancient world. They're, they're risking life and limb. And when they show up, he says to them, you poisonous snakes. Who warned you guys to, 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 to escape the wrath? They said, you know what, just don't, and, and let me use it, don't just go through the motions. Because this isn't the first time this kind of stuff has happened, right? Which is a call to be right. Don't, don't just go through the motions. He said, bring forth the fruit that goes with repentance. And don't rest on your laurels. You know, well, we got Abraham as our father, whatever. No, you know, I was baptized when I was 12, or I was baptized when I was 6, or whatever. I went on a mission trip, so, you know, I got, you know, God's got to let me in now. Don't go through the motions. Let there be real fruit that comes from it. And, 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 and that's really a huge challenge to us, right? That part of it is that not only do we need to say, all right, I'll do the stuff that gets me closer to God, but, but we don't ever get closer to God. So you got, you got to really be open to change, right? you you, you got to bring forth. So, you know what? If, if not, it's just shh, the ax is coming right to the roots of the tree, and it's coming down. And, and, and so he said, you, you got to do something different. you got to get, you got, you got to open up and change. And, you know, and, and, you know, there are ways in which you and I, as we seek God, we, we've got to bring forth the changes that come from that, or, or we're really not seeking God. We're just going through the motions. You know, and, I, and I, you know, some of the ideas is that one of the times, we, we live in a time now where more important people are, they're, they're just comfortable Say, I'll, I'll get my primary spiritual input during the course of the week just online. I'll listen to the sermon online or do this or whatever. And it's not a big deal to get here anymore. The last time, I, 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 don't, I don't really see how you love God and love, other, love people in the name of God and worship together with other people unless you're actually here. Sometimes it's just, you know what, I just need to get out of that rut. Right? I just need to do something different. 
right? And, and the changes just go on. You know, what some, some of you love, you come in today, and, and you, you, the thing you love is, I just want to be anonymous. I don't want anybody to know who I am. I don't want people to know how to get a hold of me, you know, that kind of stuff. And sometimes you just need to say, you know what, this, this needs to bear fruit the change of being known instead of being unknown. And the list just can go on and on. But we have this tremendous capacity just to kind of engage in spiritual stuff. And then we look back over the long picture and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not any different than I was five years ago. And I've been going to church all the time. We have to really be ready to embrace. Just don't go through the motions of coming after God. That's, that's what John, John wants them to come out. He wants them to repent. He wants them to seek God. He wants them to know the hope that's coming. He wants them to walk the highway that leads them back from Babylon to Jerusalem, right? I mean, it's, you know, he, he wants that to happen, but he said, that's not going to happen if you're just going through the motions. You know, I'm, I, I, it, back when I was in high school, early college, I don't remember the exact year, you know, um, Billy Graham held a crusade in Boston. You know, and, and I was active in my local church in Sudbury and starting to think about some ministry stuff. So, so Christina and I volunteered um, to, to help out at the, um, with the Billy Graham crusade. You know, our church was enlisted volunteers. So we went in one night, and there's a part of me, especially when I was 19, thinking, man, this is the way to do church. I was sitting in the back row eating a hot dog, drinking a soda, listening to them to preach it. Wouldn't you guys love it if you just had, like, popcorn and all that kind of stuff right now? And say, hey, it'd be a lot easier to listen to. Now, I, I'm being facetious there, but... but they spent incredible amounts of time enlisting lots of different churches to be ready to follow up the people who are going to respond to these crusades. And part of the reason why they did that, I mean, they, they literally had hundreds of churches, and that's part of what we did. We went through the people's response cards that had, a, quote, unquote, gotten up out of their seat, come down front. And, and as a, in following Billy Graham's pray, prayer, had given their life to Christ, and they filled out a card. And what we did is we assigned those names and the contact information to churches who would follow them up. And, and, and the reason they were doing that, because they had found through their crusades, is that the vast majority of the people who got up out of their seats, came forward, prayed to embrace the forgiveness that's only available in Christ, and invite Christ into their lives, and, and, and to become a follower of Christ as a Christian— the vast majority of those people never went anywhere to any church ever. It was, it was a then, that moment thing, but when they left, there was no follow-up. There was no fruit. There was no, it was just going through the motions. This is great. I, I, you know, when I, whenever I think about death, I'll be able to think, oh, yeah, I prayed to receive Jesus back in 1979 when Billy Graham was there. haven't thought about it since, but I'm going to get into heaven. And John the Baptist says, don't respond to God that way not going to work. you got to put in the effort, and you can't just go through the motions. It's got to be the real deal. i got, got just a couple more quick points for us. I know our time is running away from us, but, you know, it's really interesting, his interaction with these groups. So he's preaching. He's saying, you brood of vipers who warned you, that kind of stuff. And, and, and so they're looking at him and saying, well, we don't want to be those people, so what do we do? We don't want to be those people who just come out and get wet and go home and, and nothing ever changes. We want, so what should we do? And he talks to three categories of people. He kind of talks to the rank and file. He says, those of you who got enough, you need to share with somebody else. You, you, you need to see that life is not just about you. It's about caring for other people. Second thing is, if you're a tax collector, right, you got to stop abusing your role. You know, I, ancient world, ancient world um, tax collectors, I equate them a lot with the companies that get the leases 
at the service areas on our interstates. You know what I mean? You go into a McDonald's on I-90, and a Big Mac is like three times as much as it is in any other McDonald's, right? I mean, you know, because, hey, they got, you know, you, you got to go to the bathroom every 50 miles. You know, and, 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 and so they just, and they pay money in order to get, and they pay a premium. That's the way it worked in the ancient world. The tax collection, okay, you know what? Who, who wants to bid on this street corner to collect taxes? You know, as they're coming in from the north, who wants to bid on that one? And, and, and it went to the highest bidder. And the only way you made any money out of it was getting as much money as you could from everybody else. And so if you wanted to get rich, what you did is you figured out how to really, how to cheat people. And that's what they did. You know, and, and I remember when Christina and I were going to Burkina Faso back in, in, in the 2000, 2000, and we were bringing a small little television set that had a built-in VCR. Everybody remember what those were like, right? Some of you weren't even born then. So, and, 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 and it, because they had the kids, and they had all these Disney movies that their kids could watch. And we buried it inside of a box full of diapers. So that, so, and, and because if they had found it as we went through customs, they would want to charge us like $300 for a $50 television. And then most of it would go right in their pockets. That's why they got those jobs in the first place. And so when we go through the airport, I'll finish up the story. They open the box, and they go down to like nine layers of diapers, and there's like two layers left, and they stop, and they, and they tape it back up, and we're going, <laughs> you know. But that, that's what the, it was like to be a tax collector in the old days. Just anything you can get out of them, because that's the only way you made any money. You know, and same with the soldiers. They signed up to be soldiers. They, went, they said, this is a money-making opportunity. We've got the spears nobody else does. And so we can take what we want. And that's what they did. So... Now, just take all of that. You know, not many of you are carrying spears around going to your neighbor's houses. I understand that. So what's the happen? You know, what, what, what John is saying to them is there's a way that the world works, a standard operating procedure. So you've got to reject that, and you've got to be different. You've got to be different. If you're going to prepare room for him and not just go through the motions, you've got to be really open to doing life differently, life differently than anybody else is doing it. You, you've got to be open to something really being different. Your relationships, your finances, your services, all, your service, all kinds of stuff. You've got to be open to doing things differently. You're just going to be going through the motions if you want to work out, walk out and say, I just want to be a typical soldier. I don't want to be different than anybody else. So if we can force this guy to give us some money and accuse him of doing something, he was, uh, we'll just take it, right? And, and you've got to be different. You have to be open to breaking away from standard operating procedure. And so you, all of you, look, I said, this, this is just the way I kind of do stuff. This is the way I relate to my spouse, or this is the way I relate to God, or this is the way I do stuff. And we, sometimes we just need to say, you know what, I've got to be open to changing that so something new can really take place. And, and we've got to be open to doing things differently than we've ever done it before. The way you and I prepare him room and make this highway work so that you and I can get from Babylon back to Jerusalem and be in God's presence is we have to be open to things being different than they used to be. And we have to be open to being different than they used to be. Let me close on, on this note. So as John is preaching to these people, He's given them many, many exhortations. So this is just a sampling, right? 
the biggest thing he was doing was proclaiming good news. This whole invitation to make, prepare him room, to, to make straight the way of the Lord, all of this is good news for us because it means that God wants to get us from Babylon back to Jerusalem. He wants us to get as far from him back to him, right? This is the whole reason for it. And he's proclaiming this good news. And, and it's really always my privilege to say to you, that's the good news that you can embrace today. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how much or how little spiritual water is underneath your bridge, God says to you, I love you. If you believe in me, I'll forgive you. And you can have a new relationship with me built on peace, joy, love, and hope through Jesus Christ. And that's good news. You've got to prepare him room. So that's my invitation for us today, is for us to experience the day of salvation, as John talks about as he quotes Isaiah, for us to experience the day of salvation because we've untangled the mess. We've put in the work. And God, let God make us different. Let's pray together. Father, I th- I'm so grateful that you are eager for us to get far from you and back home. To, to leave that Babylon where we've been stuck for whatever reasons and get back to Jerusalem. God, I pray we would do the work. We'd prepare you the room. We'd make the way straight that we can run back into your loving arms through the person of Jesus Christ. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.